Ladies and gentlemen, people of the internet, welcome back to yet another episode of Crypto Over Coffee. Hope you're doing well today. And if you're new here, every Saturday we break down the latest news and the hottest topics in the world of technology and cryptocurrency over a cup of delicious coffee. Now, that being said, in today's episode, I'm talking about the Cardano Africa news, Bitcoin price, Chainlink, our usual 404 Logic Not Found segment, and more. So make sure you stick around for all the updates in this episode. Now, as always, though, we're going to kick it off with questions from you, the awesome folks who support Crypto Over Coffee week after week. And if you want one of your questions answered, please leave them in the comments down below. Tweet me at Hashoshi4 or leave them in the Hashoshi Discord, which will be linked in the descriptions where you are watching or listening. So if you would be so inclined, please do subscribe to the channel, follow the podcast and hit the notification button so you can get a heads up whenever I post new episodes of Crypto Over Coffee, which of course happens every single Saturday. Thank you very much for that in advance. And let's go ahead and dive into the questions. Now, the first question of the day is from Max Alias, and it is, could you explain how proof of history used by Solana, how it works, how secure it is compared to POW, which is proof of work, proof of stake, and delegated proof of stake? Uh, So this is a great question, and I think that it is best answered by sort of explaining it in two pieces. So let's go ahead and do that. Now, first of all, Solana's proof of history is a timing and ordering mechanism that's used to facilitate low overhead validation of events in the network in tandem with proof of stake and a practical Byzantine fault tolerant model for consensus called Tower. And these, in my mind, are the primary consensus mechanisms. So just in terms of your second question up front, proof of history is not used in lieu of other consensus mechanisms. It's actually a force multiplier or an addition to the proof of stake backed tower BFT consensus mechanism. And it's used to help Solana scale faster. So what is proof of history? To explain this, I think it makes sense to discuss a core task for any blockchain, which is to establish the ordering and validity of events to prove that time has passed on the network, which will help them identify malicious blocks and events according to a passage of time. Now, the way that this is done in traditional blockchains, think Bitcoin, for example, is by consensus, which requires processing and communication between validators on the network to agree on valid blocks of transactions in the space of time. Now, in most networks, each node that broadcasts events or blocks to the network only has access to its own local clock to timestamp those messages, right? And that clock probably differs from the local clock of other nodes around the world. So in other words, there's no central unified clock that determines the timing and ordering of events in the trustless network, which means that consensus has to handle the establishment of when blocks of transactions occurred, And wherever there are discrepancies, it needs to reorganize blocks accordingly. Now, this means that verifying the passage of time and the events in that passage of time becomes a little bit more challenging because everyone's on a different time scale. And consensus has to overcome that lack of unified network clock to ensure that timing and ordering is in fact valid. In other words, there's a lot of wasted energy and time used to sort out those discrepancies in time and to make sure that things are final and trustworthy. So in order to alleviate this, proof of history was designed to establish a unified network clock on Solana that validators can use to easily verify the ordering and timing of events on the network. In short, it is designed to prove that time has passed between any single event and the next. So without establishing a centralized single point of failure, Solana created a verifiable delay function that allows arbitrary network participants to predictably keep time on behalf of the rest of the network in a trustless manner. 
with a verifiable delay function or VDF, one can predictably determine the time it takes on one single CPU core to complete each step in the function, which means that by having a network participator or participant, excuse me, running this function and reporting results, it's easy to establish a predictable shared time clock that can be verified by all other participants who, of course, know the VDF. Essentially, a network validator is selected to be the leader in a given period of time, and then this leader is responsible for proof of history, which, of course, uses the verifiable delay function on a single CPU core to compute hashes of data from the network in order of receipt. Now, this accomplishes our goal at hand because everyone on the network knows how long it takes to compute these hashes. So it's easy to prove that the time has passed or that time has passed between the hash of one event and another. For example, let's say it takes the validator half a second to compute each hash. Between hash 100 and hash 200, the network can safely assume that 50 seconds has elapsed. It's easy to verify these hashes in reverse as well, similar to how Bitcoin blocks use referential ordering. Now, this universal time clock allows the tower BFT consensus mechanism and proof of stake to effectively delegate the resolution of timing between events to the proof of history leader and eliminate some of the wasted effort that causes delays in consensus. Now, I know this is kind of a dense topic, but if nothing else, take away that proof of history helps establish proof that event A took place before another event B and that time passed before, after, and in between. So that's the key value proposition that you need to know. Now, the second question here is from Tony Chow. What happens to DeFi when central banks start using their own digital currencies? Now, this is a question that I've heard quite a few times, and I think it's high time that we answer this one. So I've talked about CBDCs or central bank digital currencies on the channel in the past that while they are a cool idea in a utopian environment where they would not be abused, I think that more likely than not, they would be used to further entrench control over the money system by a select few, and it would not be democratically or universally governed by the people who use the money, and I don't really love that idea. What will ultimately happen is that CBDCs will come, and that is just what that is what is going to happen. We're seeing that happening already. And DeFi, in my opinion, is going to be even that much more important when that time comes because it will be sort of another outlet for people to, you know, have access to financial services around the world. And I think that DeFi is going to continue to thrive in that regard. Now, the big question, though, is, is that in the environment where certain CBDCs might exist, right, the movement of money from, let's just say, your bank at that juncture to cryptocurrency exchange which and then through the cryptocurrency exchange into the DeFi world is there going to be some sort of barrier put into place to move money in that direction the fact that it hasn't happened yet to me signifies that you know the creation of a cbdc doesn't really make it easier per se to stop people from moving money to crypto exchanges despite what you might read online just because they implement a CBDC doesn't mean that they will just be able to now singular, singularly block transactions to crypto exchanges any easier than they absolutely could do now, right? Because there are plenty of banks that will not let you move money to crypto exchanges. They'll just reject transactions. So uh, that criticism, I don't know, is totally founded. I think that that might just be a little bit more fear than anything else. But what happens to DeFi is DeFi finally, I think, will be sort of a mainstream idea for more than just people who are interested in crypto and making a quick buck. I think people will be using DeFi more often and 
to be honest with you, one side effect is that CBDCs will sort of normalize digital currencies and using your money in a purely digital way. So it'll be really interesting to see. Not all good, not all bad either, but we'll just have to see how this plays out. Now guys, that's gonna do it for the questions today because that first question was actually pretty lengthy. So let's go ahead and dive into the news section. Now, in terms of how we do every single time, I just wanna warn people about scammers that are in the comments pretending to be me. They're asking for you know, WhatsApp, you to reach out to me via WhatsApp. I don't have a WhatsApp. I will also not reach out to you via Telegram. Basically for anything except to announce a giveaway winner, which we need to do now because every week I give away a Kobo tablet steel seed phrase backup device. And the winner of last week's random draw is here on the screen. So I will be in touch probably via the comment to let you know how to reach out to me to get your prize. And if you want to enter this week's giveaway for the random draw on the Kobo, please do leave a comment on YouTube down below and you'll be entered to win the random draw. So with that folks, let's go ahead and dive into our first story or news segment, which of course is related to Bitcoin. Now in keeping with crypto over coffee tradition, let's kick off the news, like I said, with a Bitcoin update and BTC price analysis. Now this week was quite frankly a relief in contrast to the prior week of red, because despite some rocky spots, we have traded up above 50K again and closer to the 55 to 58K mark for Bitcoin's price. I would anticipate now a period of largely sideways trading and consolidation, especially with the news about Tesla selling Bitcoin, scaring people. More on that a little bit later, so stick around. Now, at the end of the day, I think that Bitcoin is primed for movement in the positive direction, but it will be dependent on external factors as to when that movement actually happens. In years past, crypto has flourished in April, and that really hasn't materialized here, so we're kind of bucking a trend. And it just shows that not all patterns repeat themselves in this particular cycle especially. So if you believe in that kind of thing, it might be a little different this time around than in the last years. For me, my strategy has remained largely the same. I accumulate BTC using weekly dollar cost averaging. I'm building up my stack over time in a predictable way that fits my budget. And then my secret sauce is that I augment my dollar cost averaging growth by earning yield on some, not all, of my Bitcoin. So for example, the sponsor of Crypto Over Coffee, Ledin, offers 6.1% interest on your Bitcoin deposits up to 2 BTC, which is really good compared to some of the competitors these days. This is a simple way to grow your Bitcoin holdings on autopilot. And to give you this yield, Ledin offers Bitcoin in deposit to its primary institutional borrower, Genesis, in order to generate revenue from the lending. And for those wondering, the name Ledin is just a colloquial crypto version of the word lend. You know, hold is hodl, etc. You get the idea. Ledin itself is a fantastic service, and I've really, really enjoyed using it personally. It gives me the security mechanisms that I want to control access to my account and withdrawals of my precious Bitcoin on a safe list. For me, the ability to earn interest on my Bitcoin as I hold long term is an amplifier for the growth of the asset itself, helping me stack more Bitcoin in less time. So if you want to add Ledin to your own repertoire and give it a try, my referral link will be in the description below where you can earn $40 for qualifying deposits to the platform. Uh, and yeah, thank you in advance. Well, it has finally arrived, folks. The long-awaited and long-hyped news about Cardano adoption in Africa has finally come to light. Now, it was recently announced that the Cardano blockchain and an application layer identity management tool built for Cardano called Atala Prism will be used to credentialize and record tamper-proof educational records for 5 million students and 750,000 teachers across 3,500 schools 
in Ethiopia. And today's coffee is from Ethiopia in honor of that. This massive scale application will be built with a blockchain underpinning, and it will be a huge battle test for Cardano after a five-year build process. Now, this type of solution will not only create an unfragmented system for the Ethiopian government to better analyze and improve the education system in the country, but it will also give students and teachers new opportunities with easily verifiable and fraud-resistant credentials that represent the attainment of a degree or other qualification or just their grades in school. A student that applies for a job in their local environment, for example, will be able to quickly prove their academic qualifications and performance using the Cardano blockchain and their PRISM identity. In other words, this is a grassroots movement towards digital citizenship in a developing economy. This is powerful stuff, folks. Now, I've been saying this for a long time, but in developing countries, the new paradigm being ushered in by decentralized systems is ripe for adoption in a different way than in developed countries. Why? Because it's easier to implement something new and different from scratch, whereas in many developed countries, there's a resistance to change of the status quo and removing antiquated systems. I mean, this particular Cardano and Atala Prism system in Ethiopia is just the beginning of Cardano's big move into Africa. And I would expect more movement, including charities using the native cryptocurrency ADA for donations, which was announced by the Save the Children organization, who will be running an ADA payment gateway for that very purpose. There are over 100 million people in the country, and a digital identity and banking system predicated on blockchain would be a sight to behold. It would be real, tangible adoption in a country. Of course, I hope that this announcement will also bring attention and scrutiny to the humanitarian crises that are still unfolding in Ethiopia and, of course, must be addressed. Just shouting that out there. All in all, these announcements show that Cardano and this technology at large can be used for good around the world to create opportunity globally for underserved and underdeveloped countries and countries that are looking to jump into the sort of the global game of the economy. And that's something that I can get behind. Now, next up, my friends, is today's game of fact or FUD, where I take a piece of no good, very bad news and tell you whether it is fact or simply fear, uncertainty and doubt. Now, this week's topic is related to the recent news about Tesla selling around 10% of their BTC holdings on the company balance sheet. Of course, when a big name sells Bitcoin, whether an individual or a company, people tend to go off the rails wondering if this big entity knows something that the little guys don't, thinking like, oh no, are they preparing for a bear market? Of course, the critics of Bitcoin are the first to throw around that narrative that Tesla is jumping out of Bitcoin because Bitcoin sucks and it's going down. All right, let me just shed some light on this. At face value, it looks maybe a little bit negative, right? But let's look at the facts. Tesla sold 10% of their Bitcoin holdings at a large profit from their acquisition date right around the time of their earnings and financial reporting cycle. Is this surprising? Well, they want their numbers to look good, so there is no surprise. Frankly, more people should be taking profits from Bitcoin when we hit all-time highs instead of hodling into the depths of the bear market like people did in 2017. But that's neither here nor there. Okay, so we know that Tesla took profits during their earnings period, leaving 90% of their holdings intact. That's a good educated investment move, not a, not a problem. Then the famous Elon Musk himself, the CEO and self-proclaimed techno king of Tesla, if you live under a rock, just recently tweeted in response to criticism of the sale that by selling Bitcoin for a profit, Tesla is proving that it has liquidity on a company's balance sheet. He implied that he still holds Bitcoin personally and that Tesla is not divesting from Bitcoin completely. 
What this reads like to me is actually really great news, not bad news. Tesla seems to be signaling to other companies that holding Bitcoin on the balance sheet is a good idea and that it has liquidity so you can take profits as needed. This indicates an intent to show other companies that they can do the same thing without the fear of getting locked into an investment with no liquidity for disposal. So folks, this is FUD. Tesla selling 10% of its Bitcoin holdings is a good thing, both in terms of healthily taking profits to maybe or maybe not reinvest later in a dip, but then also to show other companies that holding Bitcoin in the balance sheet is a viable, viable option. And that is a really good thing. So don't stress this news and take everyone saying this is negative with a grain of salt. Now, I've got a video in production about the amazing Chainlink 2.0 announcement, which is pretty darn big, by the way. That paper is an absolute monster, so it's going to take me a little while to, to break it down. But going back, I guess, a year now, it's well, it's been a while, I made a video about what I think to be one of the key features of Chainlink, and that is verifiable random functions, or VRF for short. Now, with the NFT craze in full swing, VRF is having its day, and with Chainlink 2.0, it will be even more powerful. Think about it this way. If I want to create an NFT like the wild dinosaur eggs that you see nowadays, where when the egg hatches, it gives you an NFT that has a set of randomized attributes that make it more or less rare. How do you do that on the blockchain? It's really tough to randomize things on the network with any security or any performance without any sacrifices, I suppose. And with VRF, you can now tap into a far more robust set of randomness tooling, which can be used to create random attribute NFTs or even create games where you can perform alchemy, quote unquote, with two NFTs to create a random net new NFT. I mean, the possibilities are pretty much endless. Now, why do I bring this up, you might ask? Well, there's a project called Chain Guardians that I've been following lately that's doing some cool stuff with VRF. Now, Chain Guardians in and of itself provides an awesome gaming experience that features turn-based role-playing games where users can leverage NFT-based game elements to play and earn crypto in the process. It's fun and you can earn crypto. What's there not to like? There's also a feature called NFT mining where you can use NFTs that you earn or already own to mine or earn the native CGC cryptocurrency on the platform which you can then use in the game. Now back to VRF, the Chain Guardians trading card style NFT game element named Zorare has a color attribute that determines its rarity, which is transparently and verifiably assigned to the new Chainlink Guardian card a user might purchase or receive using Chainlink VRF. Now this is a real life example of VRF in action. It makes it possible to create a verifiably randomized attribute on NFTs with different percentage chances that anyone can verify. In the future, I would expect more and more blockchain game companies to start adopting VRF as well, but I'll pose this question to you. What other use cases can you imagine verifiable randomness being applied to in the crypto space? Comment below. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for 404 Logic Not Found. And for those of you who are as of yet uninitiated in this little firecracker of a segment, I highlight notable tech-related fails or otherwise stupid moves in the world that need to get some attention. And speaking of attention, this coffee needs some attention because I haven't taken one sip. I'm so distracted with the cool stuff we're talking about. But of course, if you want to help this video get some attention, please hit like, get subscribed, and uh, follow the podcast. Thank you for that in advance. So this might be a little bit controversial, but who cares? That That's half the fun of the segment after all. The topic of today's logical showdown is this meme. It's the, 
I'm Never Selling Meme, popularized by the wild and actually quite good movie Wolf of Wall Street. Now, up front, let me say this meme is hilarious, as <laughs> memes are supposed to be. That's the primary purpose. But I do think people take this a little too seriously in their actual crypto investing practices. It seems that during periods of bullishness, especially this meme and other variations of it, flow like rivers through the proverbial space-time of crypto Twitter and Reddit, and people commit essentially promising themselves to never sell their crypto. Now, what, what this also ultimately means is that people are not capping profits on their crypto, and they're not formulating a strategy besides just holding long-term blindly. And I get it. I hold long-term. I have lots of crypto that I don't intend to divest from permanently, but you have to make some moves during the year and during cyclical periods of crypto price uptrend and retraction. When you sell on a high, you can buy back in lower and increase your position, or you can keep that crypto in a stable coin and earn yield on it on a platform of one's choice in DeFi or CeFi. I mean, you might even choose to roll profits from altcoins into Bitcoin, which is your primary long-term hold. I mean, it's up to you. However, when you just hold, set it and forget it and commit to never sell, you're more often than not end up being one of the many, many people who ride the long, painful hill down into a multi-year bear market. And as I've said before, there is no prize for watching your gains evaporate before your eyes and saying, oh, I'll just wait another three years for the next cycle to come, right? This is not to say that long-term holdings of Bitcoin, for example, isn't a good idea, but commitment to building a portfolio of hold only, never sell, up only assets just doesn't seem like a strategy to me. You have to have a strategy or you're gambling, not investing, right? The likelihood of even a small percentage of these thousands of crypto projects surviving and thriving long-term is slim. These are startups, don't forget that. And according to 2019 data, 90% of startups fail. Moral of the story, just please have a strategy for capping profits and don't get sucked into the wishful thinking that just by holding altcoins for the rest of your life that you will be rich without doing anything. That is far from guaranteed. And having a long time horizon is good, but promising yourself to never sell without a strategy is just a 404 logic not found. Now, one project that you might not have heard of that I've been digging into a lot more lately is Over, which is leveraging spatial experiences like augmented reality in tandem with non-fungible tokens to create a virtual world for people to use to create avatars, experiences, and more within. Now, I cannot do all of the details about Over Justice in a Crypto Over Coffee segment. It would be too long, but essentially there are one so there's one piece that I think is really cool, and that is overland assets, which are just sort of hexagonal plats of land on a virtual earth where users can purchase these spaces to use for whatever they want in their virtual world. Now, these auctions for overland have worked similarly to products like it, and they've gotten pretty wild with famous pieces of land like Granada selling for a pretty penny. Now, just yesterday, Over completed an auction for land, including the surrounding area of the Eiffel Tower in France on OpenSea, which drew quite a bit of fanfare and fetched a heavy price tag. Now, if you want to follow their auctions, just follow them on Twitter. It's actually really cool to see. And to me, I think that AR, VR, and NFTs are going to represent a large proportion of how people consume content, and creators like me will create content in the future, so I'm keeping a close eye on projects like this, but I want to hear what you think. Would you hang out in a virtual world? Would you buy virtual land? That's the question. Now, in other news, as you know, I am a fan of Unstoppable Domains, who are a provider of functional blockchain-based domains and peripheral services that make using those domains super easy for the average user. 
Now, the .crypto domains that live on the Ethereum blockchain just got a brand new boost in the form of two big new developments. First of all, Unstoppable Domains launched a super easy to use platform on which to create your very own NFT showcase webpage that is routed using your .crypto domain. This takes just a few clicks and a signature from your MetaMask wallet, and now you have a public place to share your beautiful NFT collection with your friends and family. Now, even more exciting is the fact that the famous web browser Opera with its 380 million users now supports .crypto domain resolution natively within their desktop, iOS, and Android applications. This gives a worldwide level access to Web3 features using Ethereum-based domains, which includes things like accessing IPFS-hosted websites like mine on hashoshi.crypto. So if you use Opera, check it out. Type in hashoshi.crypto in the address bar, and you'll see my decentralized website in action with this new feature. This is bringing Web3 into the mainstream, folks, and that I can get behind. Now, that is going to do it for Crypto Over Coffee today, my friends. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate all the time that you spend watching my content. If you have time to stick around, please do check out my top three VPN picks video where I outline my three favorite VPNs, who they're for, what they cost, why they might be valuable to you. If you're in the market for a VPN, I think it's a great place to check out. Thank you for that in advance. And of course, Hope that you and your family have a wonderful and restful weekend and week ahead. And until next time, cheers.